San Pablo. Where I grew up is a suburb of the East in the East Bay, and it, I actually grew up like like more in, more like Pinole, and it's culturally desolate. Yes. Is between two refinery plants. Oh. We have no famous people from there except for Green Day and yeah. Polly Cla. No, she no, was no, from Santa from Rosa, Petaluma. There My- was there was another Pinole, yeah, Pinole child who got. Kidnapped. Oh, okay. There was a less famous <laughs> Never kidnapping case. In, but you would go to like Berkeley for a little oh, bit. Oh yeah, I would always go to Berkeley. Yeah, I would always find myself at the bus stop. And if you grew up punk and you were in the suburbs during the '80s and '90s, early '90s, it was still not very cool. And so there'd be people, even though it was just ten minutes from Berkeley, it was like a whole different world. Yeah. It was like totally hillbillies, and it was like you could tell just by like the way the bumper stickers changed. So like in Berkeley, it's like God, the goddess is alive and coexists. Yeah. And then you get to Pinole, and it's like try wiping your ass with a spotted owl, <laughs> like like totally different bumper sticker scene. Above like, the truck nuts on the back of the uh, pickup truck. Uh, we were in cool it up for truck nuts. <laughs> I think that's more like the south. Yeah. Maybe later later invention. Um. So yeah, I'd be at the bus stop. And people would drive by and throw things at me, and they'd be like, "Go back to Berkeley, bitch." Were you all spiked and colored and everything? Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Had, I had funny hair. <laughs> you were an obvious punk. I was an obvious punk, but it was also like a, you know, like a suburban interpretation. Like we yeah. didn't have like access to the internet or Hot Topic, so we would go to like. Hot Topic is the ultimate suburban interpretation of punk. Well, this was like before Hot Topic, yeah. though, because I'm old, and like we would go to just like Thrift Town and Elsa Brani. We'd be like, mailman shorts, that's punk, right? We'll, ju- ju- we'll just wear this men's suit vest. And now that's punk, because we said it is. Isn't El Sobrante's where... Well, the, the original the drummer same. was Al Sobrante. Oh, yeah. yeah and I think from they're there. from Rodeo. They're from Rodeo. They went to Pinole Valley High. Yeah. Uh, well, Mike and Billy went to Pinole Valley. And Al, maybe... I'm not sure. I mean, there was something bubbling up under the surface there, right? Or you had to actually in, go... In the suburbs? Yeah. Uh, well, we ha- we made some fun, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like... It definitely didn't get handed to us. And there were like... Um, there was someone named Eggplant who did a fanzine called oh, Absolutely yeah. Zippo. Yeah, yeah. And he lived with his parents at the junior high... Like, across from my junior I high it school. it still exists, doesn't it? Sort maybe. of. In a, in a different yeah. way. Okay. <laughs> But he, yeah, he's still around, and um, yeah, so we would have shows and backyards. Yeah. And but you were like going to Gilman on the weekends. Yeah, we would make like these incredible journeys, like taking like three buses and riding our skateboards, like to get to Berkeley to sit on a different sidewalk. <laughs> it was so funny too, especially like getting into San Francisco, like how dependent you are on public transit. I mean, they take it all for granted now in New York that everything runs 24 hours, but at a certain point you kind of get stuck in the city if you don't have a car. Oh yeah, I have. I have been stuck in the city yeah. multiple times. Without access to the internet, how did you figure out all this? Was there a community in the high school? Yeah, we had like a little community at the high school. I like was pretty self-taught, like a self-taught yeah. punk rocker in the beginning and like it's just how you did back then when you would like go and gather clues. Yeah. So there is like guy at my summer camp that I had a crush on when I was a kid and he was in a band called Tally Ho so I was like how do I find Tally Ho's tape because they were tapes then 
Um, and there was like a punk record store in El Sobrani, okay. like for a very limited amount of time. It was yeah. called, it was like a complete fluke. It was called a regular records. It was down an alley behind a chain link fence. The Night Stalker lived next door for a oh, little bit. Richard Ramirez. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so I went there, but I was like flying blind. I had a perm at the time. Yeah. And I just like got the Tally Ho demo, but then also just like, anything that had a skull on it you know it was so much more of a gamble back then right like it just was going more in of a there gamble and, yeah you know maybe maybe like a cover or something struck your fancy yeah but you also always knew who was on your team back then <laughs> as far as just how people look as far as like in terms of how people look you could kind of know if they yeah. were, had like similar values yeah. as you or not nowadays you have no idea yeah when did you actually start self-publishing 10th grade in my 10th grade crafts class, <laughs> I, I sold my teacher on letting me do a collage project, which was actually Tales of Blarg number one. And I put that together with my friend Holly. And so that was 1990 or 91. Did you want to be a writer at that point? Was that the I ultimate did, goal? Yeah, when yeah. I was a, a kid, I did for sure. What did that first issue entail? I assume it's autobiographical just because like everybody's first issue was autobiographical you know strangely a lot of it was like short fiction okay. i remember there was and anytime i've seen like copy of tales of blog number one crop up like in an info shop or something i'll do a very ethically questionable thing and i'll like just take it i'll just take it and throw it you're away you're taking them out of circulation <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just kind of embarrassed by that um, really it's pretty i don't know if i would be nowadays i haven't seen one for a very long time yeah. but there is like that's a real collector's item now if you've burned all of the remaining yeah, copies. Yeah, that's how you drive up the yeah. Amazon prices. But there was like a fiction piece about Bart Simpson. I guess it was fan fiction. Right. And there was like, it was very, you know, you think that you're like kind of like more sophisticated sure. than you are than you Every were when you were a teenager. But I kept all of my like letters and I have all these artifacts that like prove like how stupid I was. <laughs> I say this a lot to musicians who started early on. I mean, they have they had the things that they did when they were like 17, 18, and 19 out in the world. I just talked to Ted Leo, and he was like doing all that stuff early on. And th these are things that people own. Like, he can't take them out of circulation. Nope. You can't go take them out of record stores. Yeah. That's, that's hard time. Yeah. Info shop, they just give me a lecture. Maybe make me sit in on a group meeting. But you felt good enough that you kept doing it. Oh, yeah. No, I've always been, like, driven to connect with people yeah. and, like, driven to, like, create and try to make sense of things through, like, writing and art. I think you could really go two ways with it, you know. I, I tend to be, I mean, obviously, like, the internet and being a professional blogger for 12 years has changed this in me, but I, I tend to be, like, precious about the things that I put out there, and, and I think that that's hampered me to some degree. I'm always a little bit envious of people who are able yeah. to just shove stuff into the world you know what else was great about being a teenager is like i didn't have like i was very like self-involved like all yeah. teenagers are and i and i also like didn't have the emotional maturity to like understand like that i shouldn't put people on blast like my empathy wasn't as like developed you were calling people out in your zine not calling them out but i would like it was always like, it was never like a malicious thing, but yeah. you know, in the name of comedy, maybe I would tell a story that now I would be like, mm, I think that person would feel bad if I told that story about what yeah. happened. Now I've, I've come full circle. Now that you're 
twice the age yeah. that you were back then. You're finally, you finally yeah. developed emotional maturity. Yeah. And just rejecting it. Yeah. How much writing are you actually doing on your own at this point? Well, I had a really great setup when I was working at Last Gas. Yeah. And I, I felt imagine. Like, I felt like I had a really good balance between like creating and working. I would assume Ron like fosters that in people. Yeah, it was very, yeah, they did. They were very encouraging. Yeah. They were like, probably everybody working there is an artist or some, yeah, something similar. Yeah. I mean, there's no other reason you would work there because yeah. you're not, you know, they're not able to pay you that much. And so, unless you loved what you were doing and believed in it and like drank the Kool Aid, that there's like no reason you would like, yeah, you would do that. But now, um, I have a job that is like a little more time consuming. So I'm still trying to work work that out. How long have you been doing the, the KQED for? Uh, a little over a year. Okay. So it's relatively recent. Yeah. It's pretty new. Yeah. And I was sick for part of that time. Yeah. So. And it's that weird thing of, you know, you sort of turn around and all of a sudden you've been at a place for a year, but it still feels brand new. Yeah. And maybe you haven't quite shifted your life to fit that. Yeah. But I'm like actively working against against that now yeah <laughs> and I'm finding ways to work it back into my into my life I'm also trying to resurrect the publishing I don't know if you saw that book I did with Brontes do you know who oh, Brontes is is that the uh public uh cruising diaries yeah yeah yeah, yeah. public uh yeah, the bathroom the, there one. was maybe a taco <laughs> truck and a and a blowjob uh so that's the narrative down yeah <laughs> So I'm going to put out a new book. I just got all the files um, by Liz Suburbia. Oh, yeah. Um, who put out a book with Fanagraphics called Sacred Heart. But this is going to be a collection of all of her uh, fanzine comics called Cyanide Milkshake. And she's like, I love her. So you're becoming a, like a one-woman publishing house? Yes. I'm doing it all. You went from, I don't know if I have enough time to write for myself, to I am going to launch an empire, it sounds like. Yes. You, that don't, is, you, don't, that you is. don't do half measures. Well, you know, before it was like, it's, it's, man, it's either one or the other, right? Like before I had a lot of time to work on things and yeah. it was great and I was like really productive and I got a lot done on my book. Um, but I had no money and now I have a little bit of money. Not rich. Don't come to my house. And so it seems better to put out other people's stuff for a while. Yeah. Because now I have the means to do it. And I had always wanted to. Me and Liz have been planning this book for probably, I'm going to say at least five years. You were at Last Gaps for a little while, so you have some of those skills from that gig, I assume. Oh, yeah. I worked there for for years. Yeah. I worked there in the 90s, too, and left and came back. The math changes a little bit when you're dealing with somebody else's stuff versus your own. Yeah. You know what, though? I like work a lot better promoting other people. Okay. Like I'm much better... like. Like, all of the jobs I've had in my, like, adult life recently have all been because, like, I just like being, like, an advocate for artists. Yeah. Um, and it's easier for me to, like, extol someone else's virtues than my own. I guess it changes from the standpoint, though, if something doesn't go great, you know, it's it's a lot harder because that's somebody else's work that you're putting out in the world. and. You have to have, like, a lot of confidence in yourself yeah. to be able to do that and to, like, take on that responsibility. Because you're right, that's, like, a totally heavy responsibility. But you've been self-publishing for 
I've been in the game a long time, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> you have that self-confidence and you feel like you're I able to... Yeah, I feel very confident that I do what I'm doing at this point. I flirted with this idea a lot over the years. You know, I, I, I did a comics blog for a long time and, you know, we were able to really find a lot of people before. All these people, like, now in the past couple of years have bubbled up to Fanagraphics and Drawn Quarterly and everywhere else. And I love the idea of maybe launching that, but I couldn't... I just didn't feel like there was a... A necessarily a need for it because there's so many small publishing houses in the world but you feel like there's sort of a hole that you can fill i think there's a hole i can fill yeah yeah a list suburbia shaped hole yeah it's gonna be a good one what are you able to kind of bring to the table that nobody else is really doing right now besides my many years of experience i just feel like i have like an understanding of I think I have an eye for talent, for yeah. one, and I've worked with multiple people that I, like, met when they were teenagers or just, like, just starting out and, like, who, like, later, like, became very successful. And I think I'm good at spotting talent early on. The world needs comedy, and not everybody knows comedy. Yeah. It's, like, not, it's not, like, an easy, like, hole to fill, and I think that I have a good handle on that. So that's going to be a consistent theme across the stuff you publish is humor? Of different of different varieties. Sure. Yeah. Like the Brontes book, Cruising Diaries, sold out. It's a really, that's a hard thing to pull off. I mean, I, I could probably list on one hand the cartoonists that have actually made me laugh out loud. Hers are good. So, so are you writing for yourself at all at this point? So I started a book, and it's a new genre a new genre for it's, you or just for the world well i don't know i don't know <laughs> if anyone else has done it yet but it's like it's in the self-help realm but uh -huh. it's bad self-help okay and it's called rotten philosophies oh, and it's all things you shouldn't do yeah and it's like autobio comics but it's about like different life lessons that you yeah. probably shouldn't take to heart based it's like, on mistakes you've made in your past like ill-advised life lessons yeah mistakes not really some, some maybe definitely different like experiences that might not be for everybody but so that one I was working on every day for a long time and then um I stopped this past week. that's an interesting way of contextualizing autobiography of not just having sort of a straight memoir being able to pull some of your experiences together in a different format yeah it's got a hook which came first did you want to do more autobiography or did you just come up with a really interesting way to do it uh i just like for a while i didn't have it the last time i went through a period where i didn't have a lot of time to work on things yeah. i just like kept a running list on my phone of like ideas like oh my god i want to do this oh my god i want to do this and of then, things that happened to you things that happened to me are just like funny ideas about like stories i wanted yeah. to tell from the past and then when i was like turning 40 was like a really great milestone because then it was like a marker where you're like now I'm 40 like I have to do this thing yeah. like before too much time passes it sounded like that was a big part of what drove the last book too is that that was sort of yeah right on the horizon yeah yeah and you've done you've done all these things before but you've never really done a proper book I made sure even though it's very small I made sure there was a spine so it could count as a book yeah <laughs> it was more like stories that I wanted to tell and it sort of happened organically that I found a common thread and I am calling it Rotten Philosophy. In order to really drive yourself to set aside a time to sit down and write, you need to have some kind of outline of what you're going to work on, especially when time is more scarce. Yeah. Well, I just had a backlog of ideas yeah. that I, I wanted to do, but you know how that is, like, once you have an idea, if you don't, like, act on it immediately, yeah. you know, it just kind of, like, shrivels on the vine. It's also just hard to pull a million threads if there's no through line. Yeah, yeah. 
So I still have that. I pulled it out of the file cabinet. That is its living grave <laughs> last month. You had worked on an entire thing and it just... You know, I've, I've only gotten about a, a quarter okay. of the way through it. How do you know it's a quarter? You have some idea of Because I know how many pages I need to okay. have a spine. <laughs> I see. The spine thing. Okay. But I did a really great comics residency that Kelly Crow from Seattle puts together every year. Oh. It's part of Short Short Run, her okay. and Aaron Franklin. Yeah. Um, they do an all women's comic residency in a trailer park in, in <laughs> on the Washington coast, um, in Long Beach, Washington. And that was, like, really, like, the first time I'd ever, like, had, like, feedback on my comics yeah. while I was working on it from people whose, like, opinion I trusted, other creators who were, like, not people that I, you know, they were people I just met. So it was nice. It was really nice to get honest feedback. Yeah. And that's one of the comics I was working on. It. I was trying to end it real lazy. <laughs> they stopped me. And that was, that was great. They're peers, and they're also... It's nice to have somebody who's not bringing any kind of context of who you are or what you do to the table, that they're yeah. able to just completely approach it with fresh eyes. You're really setting aside specific time to work on something, right? If you're going out of your way to go to a trailer park in Washington State, yeah. you need to come away with that with some product. Yeah. You know, during that time, I was working all the time on comics anyways, so it wasn't it wasn't that big of yeah. a deal. <laughs> but the feedback was. Yeah. It was, like, great to have, like, peer feedback. Now it's, like, I'm working all the time, and my work is, like, very involved. Uh, I think I've always been better in the mornings, like, in terms of, like, creating, just, like, sitting down, like, with some coffee. Yeah. Like, I was, like, not a latchkey kid exactly, but my mom would drop me off at the BART station before school, and so I'd have, like, four hours to kill, um, and so I'd go to a coffee shop. And just like sit there and work on stuff and like nurse the same 60 cent cup of coffee for like hours. And that's like how I like working best. <laughs> In my own experience, I mean, granted, I've had a day job for most of my adult life. Having that and being 25 is really different. The drive that you have when you get home, a little bit of its ambition and a lot of it, honestly, is just physiological, right? You just yeah. don't necessarily have that energy. But once you, I mean, something that this, that this is, this podcast has helped me with is once you have like a, a project, once you have, once I need to do a weekly episode of something, yeah. like I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that that yeah, thing happens. There always has to be some kind of a catalyst. Yeah. And like, maybe you have a job that you don't like that much. And that can also be a catalyst sure. where you're like driven. To it was like, for me in the early days, for sure. I've always done something kind of adjacent to what I wanted to do, but yeah, absolutely. Because of that, because of like literally my first job in, editorial involved shipping boxes back and forth yeah and i had just moved to new york and i wasn't making a lot of money i mean that yeah that that definitely drove me you know the kind of looming specter of maybe having to move back home with my parents because i couldn't afford to be there yeah that's a good motivator it is <laughs> how does being sick impact that drive to create you know it's funny i never was someone who thought that I, it could never happen to me yeah. I was always like, well, I better not start a GoFundMe because I might need it for like, yeah, when I get, yeah, get some terminal illness later. Yeah. <laughs> um, Keep your powder dry. <laughs> and so I thought it would be like a pretty like powerful motivator for me, but it, it was a very like one step at a time. And like, yeah. I didn't think about like, like I was just stage one. Yeah. So it wasn't like. Probably I mentioned felt, that you had breast cancer. Oh yeah. I had breast cancer yeah. earlier this year. And, uh. 
It didn't, it didn't feel like, I knew it was going to be rough, but I didn't feel like I was going to die. So, so they it didn't, didn't, it wasn't like some giant. It wasn't like a giant kick in the pants like yeah. it should be. Also, you're fucking tired. Like when you're yeah. going through like chemotherapy and stuff. Because of, you know, movies and books and TV, we sort of anticipate that these things are going to be a giant life changer. And if we live through them, that we'll have these lessons. But you kind of forget yeah, like that it's like. Yeah, you have some great epiphany. Yeah. Afterwards, you're just like. I became a new person. Yeah, but you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is like, but I have to deal with day-to-day shit. Yeah, I had to work the whole time. Yeah. Like, it fucking sucks. I had just gotten that job. So it 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 didn't impact you from a creative standpoint? No. I got some good ideas for future comics, but you don't have the energy to execute yeah. it at the time. It was like really just day by day. You're like, now I'm dealing with this thing. Now I have to deal with this other step. And like each thing is a different step. And every time you think you're done with it, like they announce something shitty that's about to happen. Yeah. Bar is very high for cancer memoirs. It's true. But again, I feel like I have something different to to bring. I wanted to do, you know, there is a thing that happens when you get sick that you you do kind of want to make it, you want to help other people yeah. who are maybe going through it. And so in that way, I would like to help. But people's experiences are so different. Yeah. Like I, a friend of mine got cancer like right right as I was finishing treatment she was starting and hers was much more serious so the advice that I had for her was like maybe not that helpful all of yeah. it like I have great wig advice and things like that it's like, but, like it's my new show like, right what to like expect yeah. it's like radiation was not a big deal for me like it hurt and like I was tired I had radiation in the morning and I went to work afterwards every day like it was not a big deal for me but a friend of mine got it and it was like terrible and I had told her it was a cakewalk after chemo. And so she had expectations that it wouldn't be as bad as it was. So I think there definitely has to be like a disclaimer for that. Yeah. But I wanted to make a web, that said, I wanted to make a website that would be easily accessible called Chemo Lols. <laughs> yeah. If you're doing it on a website, that's an interesting opportunity to like have different people offer up advice. Yeah. Yeah. Have a little forum, but just like different things that you don't think about, like, like wig options like i thought that would be the fun part but it was fucking hard to find wig like it's like there's all these soccer mom wigs because most people are older it's either like like soccer moms from walnut creek or it's like drag queens like there is like no in between so they're like a giant beehive or yeah yeah or like or you look like fucking sandy duncan it's like not fair (laughs) but i uh reached out to a friend of mine who does like she has like fetish stuff and like cosplay and she had great advice yeah and i'm lucky because i have like a pretty like large network of people to pull from to crowdsource ideas but not everybody has that and like so people who who are in like a similar situation to me might benefit so in that way even though there's maybe like the market is saturated in like cancer comics like i still think there's like a lot of in terms of like being of service to people affected, I think there's there's still a need because there's like a lot of things that I wish I had somebody to tell me. I think maybe a thing that people don't do particularly well is is that kind of minutia because everybody who tackles a subject like that feels the need to have some like grandiose work that's you know like the Harvey Pekar you know or. I, I guess Jennifer Hayden actually did a pretty good job. You know, she had a, her book was pretty sizable volume, but you know, she deals with some of that stuff too. But I don't think I don't think a lot of people do a great job necessarily drilling down on the day to day. Yeah, and there's like weird things too, like 
How do you tell people? Like calling yeah. people one by one was like the worst thing. You can't just like, send out a Facebook notification. Well, but then I was like, you know what? I'm yeah. just going to have to post this on Facebook because I wasn't like someone also who could. It was like too hard to like navigate my life to not tell anybody. It's like you have to tell the people you work with. Yeah. You have to tell people like why you're not available. You know what I mean? For me, it was just like it was more work not to tell people. But at the same time, in trying to be helpful, sometimes people are like can actually burden you more. So I like try to time it right. And, <laughs> and so I just like posted a picture after I had like my surgery. Yeah. And when it's like. I had breast cancer. I'm okay. Don't come knocking unless you're like the pizza delivery guy because I'm not going to open the door. <laughs> it's a tricky thing. I mean, one, because it's like Facebook and if you consider what we usually use for Facebook, but also at the same time, so much of what people do on there is an attempt to kind of elicit sympathy from people. Yeah. Like, oh, I had a terrible day. I had yeah. a bad sandwich or something. <laughs> so it's like, it's hard It's hard to <laughs> like walk that line. was wilted. Yeah. I mean, because it, it sounded like you were trying to do this in a way to just be as a public service. Hey, here's a thing I'm going through. I'm not necessarily seeking every single person's sympathy. Well, I definitely needed support. Yeah. Like I did. And sympathy, it depends. It's like a little emoji with a, a tear, a single tear running down. Or, oh my God, in, in the Facebook comments isn't necessarily helpful. Yeah. One of the perks, like a cancer perk, is you definitely <laughs> know like who your friends are like afterwards. And also you can witness people's like how they will react in a crisis. Yeah. There is one style of reaction where it's like they like cock their head and give you these like sad eyes. Like you'll be Almost at a show, you know what I mean? And yeah. be like, how are you? And yeah. you'll be like, I'm fine. They'll be like. Let me know if you need anything. Yeah. But those people are never around. Yeah. One, they're not going to be around. It's coming from an like, okay place, though. It's coming from a good place, but it's like, it's so annoying. Yeah. It's like the worst. It's like the worst, like most awkward thing. But it's like, what are you going to say to someone with cancer? Nobody knows. That's why there needs to be a comic. What's a good comic. thing to say to somebody with cancer? What's a good What's a good thing to say to an acquaintance with cancer? Oh, an acquaintance. I don't. An acquaintance, I would say send gifts. <laughs> What's a good gift for somebody with cancer? Uh, Mitch O'Connell sent me a huge box of like things he found at the flea market. That was very helpful. Junko Mizuno made me like an amulet, like a felt amulet that was like two boobs. Uh-huh. Um, and that was very helpful. I brought that with me to treatment every time. Things like that. Or like I had friends, my friend Francesca would do things like, hey, do you need someone to walk your dog? Like things that yeah. I could like actually not do for myself that I needed help with like she would come over and like clean my cat box that's that's a good friend I mean I'm asking this from a very real place because I'm, t- I'm terrible with sympathy I'm just yeah. really because everyone has different that. needs it's yeah. hard it's a hard one yeah. to know it's hard to walk the line between empathy and sympathy yeah I mean I think a heart emoji on a Facebook comment if you don't really know somebody that's totally acceptable I think yeah. that's fine like I'm thinking of you is a is a fine one yeah the downtime that you had you were thinking about how to write about it you need time to yeah. really contextualize it well there is definitely uh, you know you think of funny things the whole time yeah. And so, like, I would write those things down and, like, take notes about it. What's a funny cancer thing? <laughs> uh, some funny things are, like, just, like, how to tell people is, like, a funny thing. Yeah. Because of, like, how awkward it is. You really don't know what to do. Yeah. So you think about, like, oh, I could, like, draw two different pictures and have it be, like, Highlights Magazine, where it's, like, what's the difference between these two pictures? <laughs> like, <laughs> but it would I have a big tumor. <laughs> 
But also people that you aren't close friends, people that you run into or interact with, is that a, it, it becomes such a part of your daily life. Is that something that you have to talk about with them? Yeah, it's, I appreciate people who reached out to me, yeah. who like just sent me an email. And a lot of it was like unlikely sources. I appreciated that. I thought yeah. that was nice. It sounds like from the beginning, you were. it was pretty clear to you that you were going to make it through. Yeah, I felt pretty confident about it. Do you think that impacted your recovery, the fact that you really had kind of a positive outlook? I think that I also started dating somebody, like, right when it happened. Holy shit. I got to tell him on our third date is when I was pretty sure that I had cancer, but my insurance hadn't kicked in yet, so I I wasn't totally sure. But it was, like, too heavy for, like, a third date. But it's act weird, so I, like, had to tell him. Yeah. It was, like, really, like, a trial by fire. Like, he was fucking awesome the whole time. So, like, having something to look forward to, like, all the time really made... Like, I would have gotten through it no matter what, but I would have had, like, a lot more, like, fear and despair, I think, if I hadn't had someone who was, like, a really great support. How do you how do you start that conversation? It's just like, <laughs> listen, I know we just started dating. I completely understand if this is way too heavy for you. Uh, he's like a fucking good dude. I don't know, like. I mean, there are good ha- dudes, but you could understand how after a third date with somebody, how that's a, a lot to put on him. It was like there was like no choice because we were like, yeah. we you had, had that connection already. We had like two really good dates. Yeah. This was the third date. We're like eating. I'm like acting really weird, so yeah. he thinks I'm not into him. You know what I mean? And and it's like I could tell I was acting weird, but I didn't know how to stop, or like I didn't know how to compartmentalize it at that point i was just like i don't i don't this is all i'm thinking about and so we started like we went to dinner and then we were like walking around and he was like is everything okay and i was like well i'll just let you know about this thing that's happening with me but it's like when when's a good time to tell somebody i don't know does that accelerate things do things get more serious more quickly yeah yeah it kind of did that whole thing about um when you move in with somebody like that's for a lot of people that's kind of the ultimate test of a relationship i've had this happen to me where like, things can sour pretty quickly because not only are you like seeing people at the worst but it's on a day-to-day basis this sounds like that times 100 potentially <laughs> it was <laughs> like luckily it's like i think that was like his his like sweets but like i think that's his wheelhouse like i think he's somebody who is Empathy? like caretaking yeah like, I didn't think I was going to have to have chemo, and when I found out I, I would have to have it, like, he just, like, got out a piece of paper and, like, a pen and, like, started writing down things he was going to, like, buy for me and, like, things I might need. He, like, took off work, like, ev- and, like, came with me to every single, like, every single appointment, like, every single, like, treatment appointment yeah. and, like, would show me, like, key and pee- peel videos. <laughs> like, it was, like, a, the perfect mix of, like, comedy and support. Yeah. It's sort of trial by fire. Trial by fire. And I was probably like at like an apex of like romantic cynicism at the time. Like I made that comic about internet dating called, it's another self-help comic. It's from the book, but I put it out as a, as a mini for uh, the East Bay Zine Fest. And it's called Men Are From Mars. Women Need to Stay Off That Space Dick. Uh Uh-huh. And that, I feel like, yeah. like I put that out, and that's, like, where my head was. Like I was having fun with it, but I was just, like, you know, like, internet dating, I feel like people, like, treat each other like ephemera. Oh, yeah. Because there's, like, it's just, like, there's always another train leaving the station in, yeah, like, t- ten minutes. Tinder, Tinder really changed the math on that, too, of the swipes. Completely yeah. changed things. Yeah. So, it's, like, I was already, like, 
a little bit cynical. Yeah. And like by that point, I was like, you know, I was like not bitter. Like I was like still having fun with it and like making jokes and comics about it. But but I was like also just like did not think that I would like meet someone who is like really cool. If you get to an age where that you don't necessarily have time for that like semi-serious, that non-serious aspect of things, that it just does it starts to feel like. Or, a waste like, of time. or maybe that's all you have time for is like yeah. something like really non-serious where you don't have like a responsibility to somebody else yeah. ever. There seems to not be a lot of middle ground with people. And I think that's ultimately the the downfall of a lot of these sites. I like, like was always try to think of like, do, was the world better for me? Like, do, did I prefer like pre-internet, like a pre-internet culture? And I think that I did. Yeah. What about you? Sometimes I think about my job. Not that my job would even exist the way it does now before the internet, but when I think about doing things like research and how that would have existed before the internet, it kind of feels like when you're trying to think about how your ancestors got around without penicillin, <laughs> you know? Where it's just like, hey, how did jobs and writing exist before the internet? Or how did, how did writers write before word processors how were typewriters a thing how was like typesetting a thing i was around for all those things but you start doing something for long enough and it just seems crazy that yeah. people were able to do that before i mean you know you come from the really like literally cut and paste of these zines yeah and now that everything can be done so quickly on photoshop it does it seem a little bit crazy to go back cut and paste yeah uh no because i think the that the more divorced you are from that it's like there's like a little piece of humanity missing for me yeah. and that's just like my own personal aesthetic but there's advantages of there, there are things that yeah. you do in your job or in your writing in your life that would not be possible without the internet oh yeah and filmmaking yeah. and things like that there's like no there's no way I, I keep coming back to the fact that there's just no way that Trump would have been elected if the internet didn't exist the way it does now I can't believe we have an internet troll for president it's like or at least, like, the damage that he's doing wouldn't be quite as, yeah. as bad. It's polarizing in every aspect, but it's also polarizing for, I think, the, the impacts that it has on us, where it, could, it can be really good or really bad, and there's not really a lot of gray area between the two. I mean, like, people are using it to, to affect change, and there are protests or Arab Spring. There are, there are all these things that are happening. And then, then just the absolute worst in, in humanity, wherein, like, we're having conversations about Nazis now. Yeah, it's real crazy. But also things like police violence. Yeah. Like without without camera phones, would we have seen those things? It's not like white supremacy ever went away, but it is kind of crazy to just have it in our face now. But they definitely were undercover. Like yeah. nobody would, would Well, that's ever, what I'm saying. Like, because of the internet, out. people yeah. have been emboldened. And it all, it, it all cycles back to this idea of anonymity. It was really interesting to see in the wake of Charlottesville that people were freaking out about losing their jobs because they assumed that they would just be anonymous marching in this big thing. But anonymity doesn't work the same way in real life that it does on <laughs> yeah. the internet. And yeah, that guy from Berkeley lost his top dog jobs. Yeah. <laughs> no more slinging weenies. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a certain part of that zine culture where you, you kind of feel the need to carry the torch? Uh, I don't feel like a responsibility to, like, to do that, but yeah. it's just like what I'm like driven to do yeah. like I, I that's what I like doing like I like sitting down with like a micron pen and like a piece of paper and like drawing things you know I was I was really hesitant to start listening to music on my computer and I had a big CD and vinyl collection and then eventually it was just clear that it was just going to be much easier 
to do iTunes and then Spotify records are heavy. Off. And then all of a sudden, you know, all the uh, record stores start vanishing. I mean, it's it's happened to some degree in bookstores. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to leave San Francisco without going to Needles and Pens and going to City Lights, mm-hmm. maybe Isotope. I, every time I go to a city, like I feel, I feel the need to do that to see what the local publishing is like. But I do have a fear that either because of technology or just sort of getting older and being more divorced from it, that that maybe that impulse will go away. And I don't know if there's kind of a critical mass. You know, I've read stories about how ebooks have kind of hit an apex, and people are still reading physical books to some degree. But I don't know if bookstores go away. I don't know if zine culture can continue to exist. I don't know, but there's still a lot of young people who are doing zine. When I go to Zine Fest, I'm definitely the fucking granny there. It's like all these, it's all these kids. And like when you talk to librarians, they're like, yeah, there's, these libraries are fucking lousy with kids. They're all over the place. Like ants. So I don't know. It's hard for me to like, to measure it because I'm an old person. Are zines the vinyl records of publishing? Yeah, don't you think? It's a thing that can only really exist as a physical object. Yeah, and there's just something about holding a zine or, like, trading a zine or selling a zine with someone or, like, just being able to go and pick it up from somebody, like, face-to-face that is, like, can't be replaced by a blog. Yeah. I don't think. I mean, there's still, like, comic conventions and, and zine fests and art book fairs, like, popping up all over the place. Do you think there's an analog to music from the standpoint of... This is obviously not the case with everybody, but for a lot of people, they get to a certain age and they kind of feel silly going on stage and playing punk rock. Yeah. Is there an element of that in self-publishing? I mean, are you going to... Yeah, but as long as Vale from Research is still alive, like, it's fine. He'll always be there. Fucking thank you, Vale. Thanks for making me not the oldest person in the room. As long as, as long as there's somebody older in the club, then you don't feel... As long as someone's older in the club. Yeah. It's, no, it's like definitely like... You know, it's a young person's game in a lot of ways. What's your gig at KQED? I work in the television department. What is, what do you do? You I do uh, social media marketing okay. for, for some different shows. Were you doing social media for Last Gasp? Yeah, I was the marketing director at Last Gasp. I work on a show called Film School Shorts and a documentary show called Truly California. And then we have like clients out of house. Are you able to be creative? Occasionally, it's not a super creative job. Yeah, I wonder if that's a good thing, you know, too, because when we talk about this sort of still having the drive when you get home after work, this is a question I ask a lot of people who want to get into to, you know publishing or radio. Is it a good idea for your first job out of out of college to be something that's adjacent to what you want to do? I wonder because I'm like writing all day, yeah. like I write all day at my job. From a creative perspective, if you're unfulfilled, I mean, isn't that what's going to drive you to go home and be more creative? Yeah, I think that that's true. Yeah. What can we expect? So you've got the Liz Suburbia book coming up. So there's a Liz Suburbia book. Um, I'm supposed to put out a book with Ben Montero too. He draws the frog. A lot of people draw frogs. No, his are special. Okay, he's he's, he's not a. Uh... You would like? I'll show when we turn this off. Yeah, I'll yeah, show he's him not to Matt, you. Matt Fury. Oh, not that frog. <laughs> no, there, we need a replacement, unfortunately. Yeah, now. poor Matt Fury. <laughs> yeah. I feel for night- him. What a fucking nightmare. Yeah. That must have been the most surreal thing in the world. First, it was just like a meme. You know what I mean? Which is like weird enough. Yeah. But you're like, okay, whatever. This yeah. happened. But then to have it like usurped like that, who could have predicted that? We're living in a fucking hellscape. The internet. Pepe was fine before the internet. Pepe Look was what great. It did Pepe to was him. just a, a fun-loving stoner frog for... About a decade before the internet ruined him. Yeah, he's fucking totally degraded now. So you're working on the frog book. So Ben Montero's book, Liz Suburbia's book, 
cruising diaries reprint. Uh, I'm gonna distro a couple of things. So you're you're going full uh, bore into this. And and then my book, which is gonna be a while. So I have some things on deck. I'm also doing. Kathleen Hanna has a Lyme disease benefit that she's working on, where she's teaming up. She's pairing up different like art, like visual artists with performing artists. So I and making T-shirts. Yeah. So I'm gonna do a Brontes T-shirt for her that I was supposed to give her like two weeks ago you found your way into that that riot girl scene pretty quickly it sounds like yeah i was so like a young feminist and a punk so i was like an early adopter was it like a relatively rare thing at the time to have a a woman doing her own scene uh i there were like people involved in punk like there were women involved in punk obviously yeah um there weren't as many women in bands or doing fanzine as you would think. Like, it's hard to keep it in historical context, but it was, like, a pretty, like, big deal at the time. But there was this sort of sense of, like, oh, I found my, my group of weirdos. With Riot Girl? Yeah, with, or Grandmobile. Uh, I wouldn't or... say that those were, like, my people exactly. Like, I never, like, identified that way. But I would say because our values were similar and because I, like, admired what they were doing. Yeah. Um, I was, like, super supportive of it. You know, I love Bikini Kill and stuff. It's crazy, though, that you're still... Those connections are still there after all these years. Yeah, punk is like that. There you go. That was Janelle Hessick. Glad we were finally able to make that one work. I've been trying to get her on the show for a while. And for whatever reason, every time I was in the Bay Area, we were unable to coordinate our schedules but uh, finally worked out really enjoy that conversation thanks to her for taking the time to do that you can check out janelle's work and a lot of the other folks that she's currently publishing over at gimmeaction.com you can also attempt to pick up tales of blarg on the internet the copies of which she hasn't <laughs> incinerated at this point thanks so much to her thanks to you guys as always for listening to the program if you like the show there are a couple of ways to support us you can Either send us a couple bucks over on Patreon. If uh, I know it's the holiday season, probably don't have a ton of money to give right now. Another very helpful way to support us, however, is by rating us over on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It's very helpful when it comes to time to actually book people for the show. Uh, if you've got any feedback, it's riylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. That is first and best place to get all of your riyl related information like us on facebook and uh, i think that's about all i got for this week so uh, very happy holidays to you and yours and stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of riyl 